0: Bridget Gleason. Bridget, how are you this morning?
1: I'm doing great, Andy. Good morning. How are you?
0: I'm doing fine. Doing fine. So where do we find you today?
1: We find me in the Sumo Logic offices in Redwood City. A fine, beautiful day. And for you, Andy, you're the one that moves more than I do these days.
0: (laughs) Where are you today? In in New York today.
1: Okay. East Coast.
0: Enjoying a sunny but kind of chilly day. But supposed to warm up this weekend. We're recording this at February. It's supposed to be in the sixties this weekend. So nice, beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Get out and do something. So, yeah, yeah. So anyway, jump right into it. Now that we've caught people up with the weather and where we are. Is am <laughs> um, not sure they're all dying to know. No, I'm sure. I'm sure. Is, let me know. You write in if you're tired of hearing about the weather. Um, we're going to talk about cold calling because I come across an article quite a while ago that. Hadn't had a chance to, to surface it and have us talk about it. Uh, author talking about cold calling being dead. And you know we've gone through a lot of conversations, you and I, on Fridays about uh, you know sales development reps, business development reps, account execs, the specialized sales model. And here's an article that advocates that really there's nothing wrong with specialization but perhaps we're specializing in the wrong way. And oh. instead of having sales development reps that we'd be better off to stop annoying customers with the cold calls, because author contends that no one likes receiving cold calls, no one likes making them, which I think is absolutely true. Is um, you know, is there a better way to allocate money? Does it you know, perhaps better investment, more effective investment in demand generation can really take the place of what sales development reps are doing today?
1: I don't think anyone would argue that people hate making cold calls, they hate receiving cold calls. I, I think the world is open to a better way with the understanding that these the companies, Sumo Logic included, we're trying to expand our reach and talk to more people and obviously get sales. What does the article say, Andy, as an alternative?
0: Well, what, what this person puts out is, is the idea that you um, through a combination of more effective demand gen through your marketing investment and driving people to your website, um, having an effective sort of live chat presence through the website where you can engage people uh, with knowledgeable reps that when people come to the website engage them in you know, real you know marketing and sales conversations uh, through chat to then hand them over to the account execs at that point Saying that people that come to the site are, you know, demonstrating an interest of qualification that's that's uh, worth more time than being proactive and outbound reaching and disturbing somebody and disrupting somebody's day if you catch them on the phone.
1: Yeah, you know, it's interesting. When I was running sales at Engine Yard, we we did that really effectively. Engine Yard sold to developers. It was a platform as a service for primarily Ruby on Rails developers. Mm-hmm. And early on there I was thinking about this this issue. Developers are probably, I, I don't know that more than any other category but I would argue they're right up there in terms of being annoyed when they get called by salespeople. So what we did is we did have a live chat uh, on our site and I hired some very bright, right-out-of-school technical folks that just could man the chat line. And just their job, even though they were part of the sales team, their responsibility was really just to be helpful. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Just be helpful, get the questions answered, what do they, they need to do, what issues are they having. And uh, we, st- I, we started this experiment with, I hired two of them, and ended up growing the team to eight or nine. And really expanded the sales team more in that direction than uh, than the uh, closing reps. And just as you're talking about in this article, they would do the, the very similarly. Once somebody really generated interest and looked looked like they were ready for a sales conversation, could then hand them over to one of the closing reps. But yeah, I can appreciate I can appreciate that approach. I think the key here. And one of the topics you and I have talked a lot about is this close alignment and relationship between marketing and sales. And as a sales leader, I I can't drive demand toward the website in order to create that interest, in order to have more people initiating conversations through chat. So I really rely on a strong marketing department to be able to do that. So working hand-in-hand is super important.
0: But at the same time, though, you you have your outbound sales development reps is you know I believe at one level that the reason we cold call, and especially in a lot of situations, there'll be people that argue vehemently against this, is that the reason that we cold call is that we're not generating enough leads. And when I talk about this in my latest book, is that you know, in an ideal world, marketing generates enough good leads that sales doesn't need to invest money in people whose sole function is to go out and make gold calls.
1: I don't disagree with that at all.
0: Okay. So if we use that as a premise, then what you're saying then is you have your sales development reps just really out of necessity.
1: Absolutely. I think everybody does.
0: I don't know. I mean, I, I you know, hey, the people, book's been written. You know, a friend of mine, Jeb Blunt, wrote a great book called Fanatical Prospecting. He and many, many others would say that you know, anybody that thinks that they can build a business without proactive business development is nuts, as fooling themselves.
1: But I think that goes back to, Andy, the fact that it's very difficult and perhaps unrealistic to expect that marketing can go create the quantity and quality of leads that you're looking for.
0: Well their argument would be is even if they could, you'd still be crazy. Because you know there's some people that actually believe and I, I don't believe this at all. And and people who are listening to this, feel free to send me an email at Andy at com if you agree or disagree. But there are some people out there that believe that let's see, if a lead that you develop through a cold call, through a proactive outbound is uh, going to be a better lead, more likely to close than one that comes to you through an inbound. That that a lead that you develop through outbound proactive is, on average, going to be a larger deal than a prospect that comes you know, and responds to demand gen. And I am sort of laughing because I think that's I, I think those are ridiculous those are ridiculous assumptions. You know, there is nothing about the method of the original point of contact that's going to dictate the size of the customer or their likelihood of closing.
1: So I think on this one, I, I don't see it as much of a we don't need to rely on beliefs here. We can look at data. Yeah. And and so I'll tell you that um, in different selling environments that I've been in what you describe, the data supports the fact that an outbound, a lead generated sales generated lead that a, a rep finds they cold call, they go after, they close, et cetera. Again, in certain situations it's, there's, not, there's not one size fits all or this is not true in every case. But in certain situations it was true that the deal closed faster um, and for a higher um, sale, sales price than the ones that were coming in based uh, from marketing.
0: So why, that why, why would that be?
1: Well, it, because in, in this particular situation was because marketing was very effective at bringing people to the website or bringing leads that were of, the, the quality wasn't there, and they were all like really SMB accounts. They weren't the mid-market or larger accounts that we were going after. They just hadn't figured so out there yet. there was
0: misalignment there in terms of marketing. But I'm saying in a in a theoretical sense, if marketing was trying to address and bring in the same targeted customer profile that sales is doing the proactive outbound to, that there's no reason one method of initial contact with the prospect should dictate size or likelihood of conversion?
1: Well, I think in in a lot of cases, Andy, marketing is trying to identify and bring those leads in. And I think that oftentimes marketing and sales can be in alignment but their ability to i mean they're having the same struggles that that we are as salespeople in terms of getting through the noise, and I think their their intention and their effectiveness may be two different things. so mm-hmm. I don't always say that it's it's because there's not alignment um, or that they're not effective. I think it's hard I think yeah. it's hard right and and I guess I agree with you that if marketing could bring them in, we wouldn't need outbound reps. I don't see a world in which that exists I, in the world that I'm in, I should just say. I don't know when that will exist. Perhaps, and there are company. I mean, I, I'll say there are companies that have they'll have, maybe you wouldn't call them outbound reps, but they'll have sales development reps that, that marketing is generating so much inbound and so much interest that there's a layer that has to sift through and figure out which accounts are, which mm-hmm. prospects are going to be mm-hmm. flipped over to a closing rep.
0: Yeah, now the guy that wrote one of these articles we're talking about here today, though, is VP of sales at a company that's gotten done away with their SDRs and shows an article shows the math for why that money that he would spend bringing a rep on board, you know, paying a salary for X number of months until they can close a certain level of deals and so on, or you know, generate a certain number of deals that can ultimately be closed, is that um, you know that money spent in demand gen through marketing is going to generate more activity and more leads for them that they can close than their outbound rep. So basically, take the salary you'd pay for outbound, invested in effective marketing demand gen.
1: So I will tell you in my experience. Um. I could give the market the money to marketing, and it, again, it's not that marketing's misaligned. It's it's hard to spend marketing dollars effectively. I just think it is. So I don't disagree with the ROI. And hey, if 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 we knew, and if marketing knew that they could go take these dollars and, and generate that interest, I don't think anyone would disagree. I wouldn't disagree. I would love to not have to have an out, an outbound team and people cold calling if I got enough inbound. But I guess I, in my experience, Andy, and I have For your SDRs added,
0: that are listening to this program, Bridget loves you. <laughs> it's nothing personal.
1: I, I think they would agree. I think they would agree. I think it's because I can repurpose them to something different. So I've got a super talented team. And there's lots of things that they could be could be doing. I just think that it's Right now, I, I have not been in a place where marketing has been able to, to figure it out to the extent that the outbound team wasn't important. So, yeah, I, I guess I, I, I love the premise of it. In fact, I'm, I, I, I'm totally on board. And again, I think the SDRs, there's, there are other functions. These are, these are at, at least at Sumo Logic and other places where I've been, super talented early sales professionals. Put them on the front lines. They'd be delighted to move from where they are to the front lines. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's not about me not wanting sort of people in the early stages. It's that it's, I think it is difficult for people. It's, it's, it can be a grind to make a lot of uh, cold calls and I don't, I don't know a person that would say I love getting a cold call. <laughs> I've never heard anyone say that, or don't feel annoyed, or don't So I think there's some friction there that would be great to uh, minimize or eliminate.
0: Yeah, no I agree. So we're going to take a short break, and we're going to come back and continue talking about the subject. You're here with us today on Frontline Friday with Bridget Gleason, and we'll be right back. Hi, this is Andy. Connect and Sell is used by sales reps at nearly 1,000 companies, including hundreds of technology startups and several Fortune 500 companies, to overcome the challenges of getting prospects on the phone. Companies using Connect and Sell grow their revenues faster by enabling their sales reps to have more sales conversations in 90 minutes than they could otherwise achieve in an entire week. Connect & Sell can be deployed directly to your sales reps, or you can take advantage of their outbound on-demand service, which delivers qualified prospect meetings scheduled directly on your sales reps' calendars. Visit connectandsell.com to learn more about how Connect & Sell can start filling your pipeline today. Welcome back to the show with my guest today on Frontline Friday, as always, Bridget Gleason, holding down the West Coast, I'm holding down the East Coast today.
1: We got uh, it covered. We just need someone in the center.
0: That's true. Somebody in flyover country we need that we can. Someone could. in the center. All right. So, um, another interesting thing I read was was sort of along the same lines as someone uh, about not wanting to, but wanting to have more, replacing the proactive outbound with you know, more effective demand gen and then effective sales conversations or marketing conversations through live chat and other means on through their website. Is. Uh, a statement that you know, if the messaging is really going through email these days, or email and or texting as opposed to phone, is that really when you're hiring your SDRs you really need to prioritize good writing skills over good calling skills. And I thought that was sort of interesting because you know so much of what's being done now, the emphasis at least from a tool standpoint is really on sort of broader scale automation of some of these initial Sales outreach, right? Even though there's some "quote unquote" personalization that supposedly takes place, but um, those messages aren't being written by the sales reps themselves, though. So, I'm mean, where'd you sort of come down on that? I thought you know, you're hiring an SDR. How do you consider writing as part of the the skill set that you're looking for?
1: I think writing is a writing is a super important skill. I would say their communication skills overall is what I look for. You're, they are still going to be required to have conversations. So instead of saying, prioritizing writing over, let's say, um, verbal communication, I would say communication skills, strong communication skills in general is what uh, I think is important. And that is important for the SDR certainly that we hire mm-hmm. at and always has been. I think good communication skills just in general, in business, are very, very important.
0: And so not becoming less important through the automation. I mean, so, I mean, you know, take a simple sales development platform. There's to be a series of templated emails that are set out for the sales development reps to use as part of their, their sequence or their cadence or their funnel or whatever you want to call it based on the tool you're using. I mean, they're not creating those, right? I mean, how much of their personal touch are they really putting on those communications?
1: I, I require that they have personal touch on all of the cadences.
0: So they're they're putting their own personal spin on some of the, or is it just, you know, putting in a sentence, one sentence in the, the body of a letter that personalizes it? I mean, to what degree are they really personalizing?
1: So it depends on, in the case here at Sumo Logic, it depends on, let's say, how hot the lead is. So we classify leads as tier one, tier two, tier three. So tier one are the look like the best fits in terms of a product and service uh, match. And so if it's a tier one, we require quite a bit of personalization and sort of research and understanding how our product might fit this person in their role, in their company, at this particular time. And so it's not just a gratuitous sentence that they put in, but really needs to be well thought out. And Andy, it may not be a paragraph. So good communication is often succinct communication. And one of my favorite quotes is uh, one by Mark Twain, that, who was a, a very prolific writer.
0: Right. And I know, one of the I know this quote.
1: Yeah, yeah. If I had had more time, I would have made it shorter. Yeah, I and sat I down to write
0: a, yeah, a a short letter, but I didn't have enough time, so I wrote a long one instead.
1: Exactly, and yeah. so I think sometimes the the craft of effective communication doesn't mean I can write a lot; it means that in a sentence or two, I can convey something very powerful. So I I think. In the SDR role, there's quite a bit of cognitive skill that's required about you know being able to do research and connecting the dots and understanding sort of an overall business context of how a prospect might be operating. I think all of those things are very important and communication skills certainly falls falls into that uh, category
0: so well, one of the um... Issues that I, I see along the personal line of personalization. We spoke about this last time in terms of uh, the wall of shame or the hall of fame, uh, depending on which one direction you want to be for SDRs. But is how much time, on average, you know, as a sales development rep, given in order to do the research and the personalization per? You know, given that they've got you know some fairly stringent demands on their time relative to number of contacts and so on. I mean. Do they get, you know, five minutes per? Do they get, you know, two minutes? I mean, what? How do you how do you factor that into the total uh, sort of load balancing with your SDRs and and accomplishing their metrics?
1: Yeah, and I I don't think there's again I can't give you a a number that's going to fit every situation. So I think that really depends. I think you should certainly be able to do the research in less than 10 minutes let's say up to 10 minutes for a tier a tier one. Um, maybe tier and two three you're going to spend three to five minutes. Maybe tier one I would argue that maybe you go up to 15 minutes. I mean I the tools make it very easy if you you can be very effective at, at where to look and how to look but you do reps do need to prioritize. Um, the prospects coming in also so that they know how much time they should spend uh, per lead and per prospect in terms of the research. And this brings me to another uh, quality that is very important in an SDR function, actually in sales in general, is good time management skills and understanding the things, what to do more of, what to do less of, and what to eliminate altogether. Mm -hmm. And that's also a very, very important uh, quality, again, is, is time management.
0: Well, part of that starts with you though, right? I mean, in terms of they're going to look at it and saying it starts with with you because you know one of the things you see in study after study after study about sales time management is that reps will claim that they only have 40% of their hours available in the day to, actually interact with the prospects because the rest is weighted down with bureaucratic demands which you know I, I know you give me a sense of what what happens in your organization to me that that number always uh, seems to be unsupported by by data but you know it's sort of the the number that's out there so does I mean if you' were to ask your reps would they say you know gosh management has us weighted down with all these other things other than selling so that's taking our time and we're I'm not sure. really able to manage our time.
1: Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure they would say that. I would say that about my management too. I mean, I, I think that's the constant challenge. I think about that when I have meetings and, uh, you know, our weekly team meetings and forecasting meetings and the different regional meetings. I think about it all the time. Am I, am I weighing people down with things that are not necessary and. I, I put meetings in the bureaucratic in the category of this is not a set and forget. this is something we need to continually be iterating on and looking for feedback from the people who report to us around you know are, are we spending too much time on things that are not critical and can be handled could be handled more effectively in a different way and not taking up so much of their time. So I'm, I'm very aware that I can be a participant in that problem and it's something that I think about on, on a regular basis.
0: So if you had to estimate for your, your team you know, what that number would be, you know, the amount of their normal eight to nine hour working day is available for them to actually engage in sales activities what percentage would you say that is?
1: God, I you know actually what I'd like to do is go back and look at I could go look at their calendars, and see like I think about it it, with the SDRs specifically. Yeah, there's, gosh, one. They may have one weekly larger group meeting, Mm -hmm. so that would be an hour. They have a weekly meeting, uh, their the team with their direct manager. That's another hour. They have one on ones with their manager, that would be another hour. So that's three hours. Um, let's throw in, I mean, we, we're not bogged down with meetings. There's We've got tools now that allow a lot of the l- l- salesforce.com entry to be automatic. So mm-hmm. they're having to do, let's say another hour meeting with the account rep that they support. So let's say five hours out of the 40 hours. I, I don't. I, I. And I'm sure there's a lot of stuff that I'm missing. I'm missing in there. Uh, but I would say it's fifteen percent.
0: Yes, that's. Gosh, you'd be way above average. I mean, in in a positive sense.
1: I know, and I. And, and I'm probably missing things. So I don't want to give myself a very good grade here <laughs> until I go uh, vet it out. Because let's they get could it be independently listening. certified. I know, they could be listening saying, what is she thinking? Well, we've got this and we've got that. perfectly welcome
0: to send emails to me when they hear this and we'll uh, yeah, we'll
1: yes, have a discussion set about it. it. Straight, Set the record straight. That's set, right. Either walk over to my desk and tell me. I listened to you, Bridget, and that was, you are so off track and I will be happy to correct the record.
0: So, <laughs> have you ever thought, and this is uh, something that I've done in the past with, with companies I work for is, is and work both as a consultant and as a VP of sales, was we we'd hold our main sales meeting each week, starting at five o'clock in the in the night, in the evening. So didn't interfere with the sales time.
1: Uh, the only reason, I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't mind doing that. We have a team that works the East Coast, so they're generally in the office by six a.m.
0: Oh, and they're gone early. Okay, and
1: so they're gone a little earlier. So that that would be a bit of a challenge for us i've thought about that and there there are like when we'll have a town hall meeting for the company those typically start you know 3 to 4 so there are cases where they do have to be here later i would you know i i would i i wouldn't do that here and then again you know i've got a team in a me and apac and so trying to get everybody on the same page that mm. is that's that's not possible to make it convenient for everybody. I've got somebody calling in at eight at night and somebody calling in at six and
0: well, the answer just, is you can do it after five in each of those locations. you just have extra meetings <laughs> you yourself
1: <laughs> yeah, and that's that
0: that's not happening
1: that's that is going to be hard for me to squeeze in any more meetings
0: so last question for you before you go, because I know we're limiting ourselves to we're strict on time today is um. Just a coverage on salary so was that a conference heard a lot of figures and so on in terms of you know how much annual recurring revenue coverage you need to have for an AE salary account exec salary what what metric do you guys use in that regard?
1: For an account exec or yeah, for or account exec? again Andy that's a difficult one to answer because our account execs are at depending on what level they are they're going to carry a different quota so it really it it's really tied to their it's really tied to their salary and what their quota expectation is
0: and is that fairly individualized then you're saying
1: um it's tiered okay. so i wouldn't say it's individualized but it's tiered but i do think you need and again it's going to be different company to company depending on what the gross margin is of the product that you're selling there's a lot of factors that that go into it and typically um well, I the think companies, in the
0: SaaS business in general i mean you're going to have dealing with relatively high margins there
1: again it depends on it depends on the SaaS business so for example ours because even though we're a SaaS business we have our service is based on Amazon, the platform. So we've got platform costs Mm -hmm. that are going to change the SaaS metrics. They're going to change the SaaS metrics a little bit. So they they are going to be different than maybe what one would consider a very high margin traditional SaaS business that doesn't have a platform cost that can be actually quite high associated. So I think it's important to understand the metrics of your particular company and what the margins are and knowing what that break even is and then knowing what a rep needs to bring in in order to do that. I mean that's something that I know per tier so when, when somebody moves to a new tier it brings an additional quota uh, uh, weight with it mm-hmm. because there's, they're getting paid more hence there's a higher break even
0: yeah i well, I brought it up because there was a question that somebody asked of me, and um yeah I could quote an industry figure that I had seen, which was four times a a r four times the salary is the coverage that's required but um yeah it's just interesting to see if that comported with what you uh,
1: um I wouldn't say i mean I'm just listening ours is. Yeah, that's about. I, I would say again, depending on the business. I would say between it's going to be between three and five.
0: Is okay. what I. So yeah, it's in that range. All right.
1: So it's definitely in that. It's definitely in that range. Yeah, because
0: I've had one client that was uh, was like two times. And I thought, okay, this is going to be problematic for you, even at relatively high margins. They had it still seemed yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, seemed low, and they they got a lot of pushback from their account execs when they were trying to raise the quotas, and. Um, you know, sort of people throwing facts and figures and industry statistics at each other back and forth, but uh, I was just less curious, and somebody had asked me about that.
1: Well, good. Yeah, it's probably just not sustainable. You know, you may you may do that early on, and you're trying to break into market and you know keep your reps happy, but I don't think it's a, that that ratio doesn't seem sustainable to me.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. So, well, good. Well, thanks as always for joining me on Friday. And and thanks, everybody listening, for joining us again on another episode of Frontlines Friday. And uh, we'll look forward to talking to you again next week, Bridget.
1: Sounds great. Have a great Friday and weekend, everyone. All right. Thank you. Talk to you later.
0: Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's
1: guest, visit my website at andypaul.com.